Welcome to the Helping Children Thrive podcast, where we talk about ways to improve your child's health and recovery. I'm your host, Momina Sili, and I'm a certified pediatric functional medicine health coach. At Helping Children Thrive, it is our aim to educate and empower parents and practitioners with integrative approaches to children's health conditions. Along with this hope that our children can recover, I welcome you all. Hi everyone, on today's episode we'll be talking about parenting children with ADHD, autism, SPD or how our guest Debbie Ripper likes to call them, differently wired. Debbie is the founder and CEO of Tilt Parenting and she is a parenting activist, a bestseller author, a podcast host and a speaker. A certified positive discipline trainer and a regular contributor to Psychology Today and Attitude Magazine, Debbie's most recent book is Differently Wired, Raising an Exceptional Child in a Conventional World. Debbie's Tilt Parenting podcast is the top performing podcast for parents, caregivers, educators, and professionals raising and supporting neurodivergent children and has more than 4 million downloads. In November 2018, she spoke at TEDx Amsterdam, delivering a talk entitled Why the Future Will Be Differently Wired. She currently lives in Brooklyn, New York with her husband and 17-year-old child. So welcome, Debbie. Thank you for coming and joining us today. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. And I will say my child is now 18, which is just crazy to think about. But yeah. I can't believe I have an adult living with me. Oh, my goodness. And they do grow up really fast, right? Yes, indeed. It really isn't just a cliche what we hear everyone say. No, it's shocking. And thankfully, I have Facebook to show me memories of, you know, oh, wow. what what life was like just, you know, five, 10 years ago. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, no, for sure. Can you just tell us how, about your journey? What got you started with Tilt? And, um, you know, this whole area of, of writing about children um, and parenting them. Yeah, so I, this was not part of my big career plan to be to have created yeah. Tilt and to be writing about this, but I found myself raising a differently wired child myself and completely overwhelmed by the whole experience. I thought I was going to be kind of a rock star parent, you know, I used to write books for kids and teenagers. And I worked in kids TV on educational programs. And I just thought, well, I am so well prepared for whatever, you know, my child is like, and then gave birth to a very complex little human who rocked our worlds. And so as we went through this parenting process and started preschool and, you know, elementary school and just at every juncture things became increasingly challenging and we started to recognize oh there's some things going on with this kid sensory processing uh, disorder or issues being one of them that was kind of the first thing and then provisional diagnoses of ADHD and pervasive developmental disorder and all these things that felt really overwhelming and it was so challenging to find positive strength based resources and support. And my husband and I just felt completely lost and overwhelmed. And I knew that we weren't alone. I knew there were a lot of parents like us, but it sure felt like we were alone in this. Mm-hmm. And so as we kind of went through this process, which was many years of just trying to figure out who this kid was and 
what kind of education would work and how to support our whole family. I kind of always knew that when I was in a better place, I was going to create something to support other parents going through a similar journey. And that's what I did. So I created Tilt six and a half years ago now. And it's fascinating just to even see how the landscape has changed since I was parenting Mm -hmm. a little one, you know, and even since I created Tilt, there are so many more resources and information available. It's really exciting to see. Yeah, it's it's changed a lot and it continues to to change um, you know, as we as we go along. I think some of the things that you just pointed um are things that will resonate a lot with parents that are listening, right? Having a child with multiple labels or diagnoses attached to them. And it tends to happen and when it comes, it just, you know, there's one after another. Um, you know, these labels are slapped onto them. And with that comes a lot of um, just, you know, and confusion and not really understanding of what those mean for them. And and not and now we, we do talk about having a lot more resources than back then, but still, it's still very bewildering and very isolating for a lot of parents, um, right, as, as they're going through it. What has, um, what is TILT firstly, and then how is that helping parents who are, who find themselves all of a sudden to be in this big storm? Yeah. And I actually just want to touch upon what you just said too. It can be overwhelming to get all of these labels assigned or identifications for our kids. And we often feel like these are answers to things that are challenging a label or a diagnosis isn't an answer. It's just yeah. information, right? So till parenting, I initially launched as a podcast, um, and actually nearly 5 million downloads now, which is also just which is crazy amazing. to think about. Yeah, yeah I, I love my podcast. And I started that primarily because I wanted to provide access to parents to really great resources for free and um, experts who could really help them. And I also used to work in production, you know, TV and, and audio production. So for me, it was coming back to something that I love so much. So it started as a podcast and a manifesto because I also see Tilt as being part of a revolution. In fact, the tagline when I launched Tilt was the revolution for parents raising differently wired kids because I feel so strongly that the entire parenting paradigm needs to change because there are so many kids like ours, way more than 20% of kids are neurodivergent or differently wired. And it's just not okay that our families are struggling and our kids are not having their needs matter or, you know, learning the way they can learn and feeling good about themselves. And so I saw Tilt as being part of this bigger conversation to help change the paradigm and the education system and all the systems that we're interacting with. So since I launched it with that podcast and a manifesto, it's also grown just to be a community. And so I have a lot of resources for parents to connect, to get access to useful information, but also really realize they are not alone and there's nothing wrong with their kids yeah. The problem is with the outside society, but there's so many of us and that gets me really excited because, you know, there's power in numbers and I do see a lot of progress being made. 
Yeah, and what you do tend to see, like you said, power in numbers, a lot of the parents who are going through um, this whole phase of, of their life, they, like you have this, um, there's this desire to help other parents like them, right, who are going through that same similar journey. Um, and so it really is about giving back and, and creating more of that st uh, stronger community that comes with it. You spoke about um, your creed manifesto, right? Um, sorry, your tilt manifesto. Um, and I was reading on your website, it's called the tilt creed, I think. Um, and so can you talk a little bit more about that? Because when you start reading through that and you read line by line, everything that you put in that, it's for a parent to just read through, it feels like it takes away so much of the stress that's on your shoulders. Um, can you just tell us a little bit more from where that came? What, what all does it entail? And how can parents really learn from that manifesto? Yeah, so I spent about a year researching before I created Tilt. And I really wanted to make sure that the things I was personally struggling with were also the same things that other parents were have, you know, were trying to navigate and, and finding themselves up against brick walls. And so I took all of this research and what, what are the things standing in our way and what are the systems that need to be changed and how do we actually do that? And I, and I crafted that into a manifesto because what I wanted to do is help people see themselves, right? To read this and say, oh yeah, me too. I, this is how I feel. Yes. And then feel inspired to take back their power and say, okay, I can be a part of this change. So it was something I spent a lot of time because I, I saw it as a rally cry, really, as a way, if you think about someone like leading a charge, you know, not that I am the leader of the big yeah. charge, there are many, many leaders, but I really wanted people to see their experience reflected and say, and feel empowered to know that I can do something about this. And so in that original manifesto, I included 10 different tilts, I call them, that we could embrace to, to change the system, to change this paradigm. Those tilts eventually turned into 18 tilts that I included in my book, Differently Wired, but they're really based on things that we as parents can do. It's not about our kids. It's not about getting, you know, this therapy for a child or, you know, helping our child do this or that. It's about us changing the way that we think about neurodivergence. It's about us stepping into our power, using our voice, connecting with other people, advocating for what our kids really need, and really challenging the beliefs that we might have that could be keeping us stuck. Yeah, you know, it sounds, it's it's amazing. And I'm sure a lot of parents, when they're listening, it's exactly what they want to hear, because they want to rid themselves from a lot of um, the societal pressure that that's put on them of having a child who either fits in or who is neurotypical, right, who just fits into the mold of, of school of, uh, of their communities. But it's, it, it's hard, right, initially to just get to that place just that taking those first few steps are so hard yeah right? what do you what are your recommendations for those parents i mean i think what you said is so true it is hard because as a society you know globally there's a lot of value in fitting in you know of not making waves of 
you know, of just kind of moving along without causing problems or having conflict with schools or with communities or with family members. And so I think initially there is a a strong sense when we realize we, we are raising a child who isn't neatly fitting into the box, we often want to do everything we can do to get them back into that box. We want to, we want solutions. We want behavioral plans. We want to do things to get our life back on this track or this picture that we had of what we thought it was going to look like. And so, you know, the very first thing that I encourage parents to do is to start questioning everything they thought they knew about parenting. And that is not always a fun thing to do because a lot of these ideas we had about what it will look like, what kind of parent will be, what kind of child we're going to have, how they'll excel or just the way that they'll move through the world. We have those ideas often really grounded into us. And, and so to even just take a pause and say, wait a minute, you know, is does every child need to be on a sports team to be successful? Does every child need this kind of education? Does every family need to look like this? Like we have to kind of take a step back and, and really challenge all of those beliefs long held often beliefs that we have about what parenting family kids um, should look like, because until we do that, we're going to keep kind of butting up against this picture we have that does not mesh with the reality that we're living. Yeah. And you know, one of the things you said was what it takes for these children to be successful. And I think that's one of the biggest fear that a lot of these parents have. And you know, a lot of them that I work with and that come into my practice, they, the worry is, you know, what are they going to do? How are they going to be independent? What kind of career, for example, are they going to have? I have a lot of parents that come in and ask these kinds of questions. How long will it take for them to get better, for example, right? Um, the, it just comes from this fear of what the future holds. But from what I understand about TILT and, and just the way how you talk about differently wired children is we need to take that pivot so that we can understand that we need to make ourselves we need to access their world rather than making them fit the mold of our world, right? Mm-hmm. Imagine from their perspective, and I tell a lot of my uh, my families that is, think about what they're going through, the fear, the anxiety, the overwhelm of being in our world. You know, the way if we think that the the things that they're doing um, don't really make sense, or that it's frustrating for us but then imagine what they're going through at the same time so it's really about changing that entire mindset of how you parent um and 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 how you uh approach that on a, on a daily basis yeah it really is and it's not an easy thing to do because we're reminded everywhere we look about the way things should look or what you know you mentioned success like what a successful person looks like and it can be scary to challenge all of that. But I think that's a great place to start actually is start questioning what does success look like? And not just for a child, but in general, you know, there are so many people who look successful who are miserable. We know from the research and positive psychology that the key to happiness is not money. It's not, I mean, to food, you know, to be able to 
feed your family for sure, but not, you know, above a pretty low threshold, additional money does not contribute to happiness. Um, a good job, you know, all of these things are not actually what lead to a happy life. It's about relationship and connection and feeling engaged in your life. And so even kind of looking at that and knowing that we all, including our kids, no matter how they're wired, they have incredible strengths, unique gifts that come with the way that they're wired. So how can we redefine success for who this child is in a way that allows them to really grow in their areas of strength and understand on a deep level who they are and what brings them joy and how can we kind of help them develop in those areas because that's what's going to ultimately lead to a successful self-actualized life for them but it's not how we're programmed and it's not the message that's reinforced everywhere that we look especially in the U.S. and such a capitalistic society so it really is challenging to unpack all of that so that we can show up for the child we have and not the child we we want to have or that we think we need to have. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I think that that's something that the whole world is kind of catching up on where we have like this very fixed structure of what we want our kids to do, especially with a lot of immigrant families. It's really they've come in, they think they've, you know, they've put in a lot of work and then they have a set structure of what they want their kids to be and what success should look like. Um, but you know, you, you talked about uniqueness and, and gifts of these children. How can parents firstly, you know, take the time to identify what they are and then to help nurture them? You know, I think we wanted to start kind of noticing who our kids are. And part of that is also checking ourselves on all the problems that we see our kids having. And I used air quotes, listeners can't see, but I'm using air quotes when I say problems, because often the problems are expectations we have that our kids aren't meeting. And they may not actually be problems at all. It's just that in, you know, in certain environments, we're making them problems. And then those become deficits that we put all our energy into. So I think before we can even look at strengths, we have to kind of, get really cognizant of the deficits that we're putting a lot of energy behind quote unquote fixing and start questioning those because, you know, I, I just, I always think of th this example of kids with ADHD, right. Who, you know, my child, for example, used to get up from the dinner table and walk around the table whilst talking and eating. Um, and, you know, in most places that would be seen as a problem. Kids have to sit at the table while they're eating dinner. And that's just like, but do they really like why, you know, this is a kid who needs to move. And that's how, you know, that's just a little example, but we often spend so much time focusing on things that don't actually really matter. And then that hinders our ability to really hone in on strengths. And so that's the first step is kind of noticing those. But then in terms of strengths, I think just getting to really understand what brings your child joy. Um, what kind of deep interests do they dive into? You know, what kind of Legos are they obsessed with making? Um, you know, what are the things that make them laugh out loud? When do they seem to be in a state of flow? And start paying attention to those things. And then we know that with certain neurodevelopmental differences, there are some gifts that just kind of come with them, right? Again, going back to ADHD, it may this idea of 
having an attention deficit, right? That's built into the name could seem like a bad thing, but you could also look at it as this ability to really focus and have so much attention that you can give to lots of things and lots of energy to create and to do things. So that's just a reframe of the same thing, right? So a lot of it is just how we perceive these strengths and quote unquote challenges or relative weaknesses. Yeah. And I I love that reframing it because I think it kind of goes into um, when a lot of parents are either listening or on on a daily basis, especially when they're like just deep in in the trenches, right? When things are really, really hard. um, It's, it's, it's not easy at that time to kind of say, okay, let me, um, let me focus on, you know, just trying to change and reframe this this situation especially when there's a lot of mood dysregulation there's a lot of temper tantrums and 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 just this daily you know roller coaster of of feelings and emotions and and behaviors Mm -hmm. and and in the in those kinds of situations it gets really really hard to be able to kind of piece those things away and and one of the things that, that you do talk about is positively disciplining um those children how can you like how do you see those worlds coming together like how do you put those pieces together i mean i just want to acknowledge that it can be incredibly challenging to parent a child who spends a lot of time emotionally dysregulated i have been there i'm still there sometimes yeah. but it it can be very very complicated and and hard and i think you know, there's so much really interesting work happening right now in psychology and in neuroscience and understanding of the nervous system and what's really happening with kids who are spending a lot of time emotionally dysregulated. And what we know is that focusing on the behaviors and trying to fix the behaviors through discipline, through rewards or consequences or behavioral plans or whatever it looks like, is kind of surface level. It's not addressing the underlying need or the unsolved problem as Dr. Ross Green talks about the lagging skill. And so I think that even just making that reframe, which can be so hard to do if you as a parent are being, you know, bombarded with, with big meltdowns, intense behavior, yelling, throwing things, you know, all of the hard things It can be really hard to not want this to change right away. And what do I need to do to stop this behavior? But we really do want to look at this child and say, oh gosh, and Dr. Mona Della Hook is someone I really recommend uh, listeners if they want to explore this deeper, has a wonderful new book called Brain Body Parenting. And she talks about really looking at this child like, wow, this child's nervous system is really, uh, she says, it's not sturdy right now. This child needs more support because their nervous system has been triggered. And so when we can look at our kids and say, oh gosh, their nervous system is really dysregulated right now, then we can respond differently. How do I help this child get to calm? How do I co-regulate with this child? How do I show up in a way that's going to support my child in learning how to do those things as opposed to you know, stopping this immediate thing by taking away screen time or all the things that we get desperate and and because we want this behavior to stop. So it is really tricky. But I think knowing that quote unquote, bad behavior is not purposeful. It is not manipulative. It's not a choice. It is the result of a kid who doesn't have the skills to do differently. 
when we can remind ourselves that and you, you might need to write it down on a post-it and stick it somewhere like where you can see it every day to remind yourself that my kid is not doing this to make my life miserable. My kid is really doesn't have the ability to do differently right now. And my job is to help them develop those skills. Yeah. And oftentimes I've seen that within a household, like one parent is more on board with these kinds of ideas and, and how to be, um, whereas the other parent isn't, right? And so there's like this dichotomy in the way that that same child is being parented and it adds so much more stress um, from time to time and on that child on, on, on a daily basis. How do you see that and how do you kind of address that? Because a lot of people that come to me say, okay, I understand that, but my, my spouse doesn't, right? And so how do you approach something like that? Yeah, I mean, that is a real challenge. It's something my husband and I worked through. And we've done a couple podcast episodes where we talked about how we got on the same page. But I think consistency is really important. And I, yes, I hear that a lot, too, that often there is one partner who's kind of in denial or just has a completely different approach. Um, I think if you're the parent listening, who who is kind of up on this stuff and and I mean, this is, we know that the science backs up what we're talking about here and that it, it, it has much better outcomes, certainly than punishments or other approaches to, to discipline. And so I think part of our job then also becomes how do we get this partner on board? And part of that is looking at them in a compassionate way, as opposed to anger or frustration, because we know that raising these kids is tricky and it's going to trigger our own stuff. We might have our own trauma from childhood that is coming up. We might have all kinds of stuff that's going to affect how we show up for this child and our partner does as well. So if you are the, the parent who is more plugged in and who's kind of seeing how this different way of showing up for our kids is really working and supporting the child then we also want to compassionately help our partner kind of get caught up to speed by showing up for them, recognizing they're struggling, not getting mad at them or frustrated with them as much as possible Mm -hmm. and inviting them to, to grow with us. I mean, we can't force anybody to do anything they don't want to do. So it can be really hard, but you know, Darren and I, my husband and I, went to therapy just to kind of because we realized we were moving further and further apart in the way that we were parenting Asher and it was it wasn't good for our relationship and it certainly wasn't good for for our child so but we are both committed to working it out and and we did but we needed some support to get there yeah and I think that's one of the things is not shying away from seeking out help and support um when when necessary and especially for parents this parenting a child um, who's neurodivergent is is a lot, right? Um, especially when it's and it's every single day, um, all the time, and it can be too much. And and you see with a lot of parents that that the stress causes their own, um, you know, conditions to flare. Um, they they can be anxiety, they can be depression. Um, in, in some parents, they can just completely just move away from everybody else. Um, while others just get more aggressive, more angry, more frustrated with everything. Um, And then one thing I was reading somewhere was how 
because of the way that these parents are themselves. So if they're in a state of heightened anxiety, then that's something that's transferred onto their child as well. And that kind of makes things so much worse. Mm-hmm. How do you see yes. that? And, and how do you help parents with that? Yeah, I mean, that is absolutely true. And and I certainly have experienced that with my own child that when I get triggered or dysregulated, I might as well just be pouring gasoline on a big old bonfire. And it, especially with the neurodivergent kid, they are very tuned into our energy. And so you know, and that's, again, something Dr. Mona Delahook writes a lot about in her book is, is co-regulating and, you know, and Dan Siegel, who wrote The Whole Brain Child, talks about these mirror neurons. I mean, it's a very real thing that if we can keep ourselves in a state of calm, we can bring our kids down to where we are. But if they, as Deanne Siegel says, flip their lid, then, and we flip their lid, then things are going to just get bigger and bigger and more out of control. And so my personal daily work and what I try to share with parents is how can we support our own emotional regulation? What are the ways that we can create more peace, peaceful moments? I'm not talking about hours, I'm saying, like, how can we bring a little bit more peace into our lives? How can we fill our emotional reserve tanks? How can we support ourselves so that our kind of base level is at a more calm place so that when things do happen, we're not going to be as triggered as quickly. And sometimes we might even be able to hold the space, right? I talk about I, I used to always just jump in the the pool with my kid, right? Metaphorically. So my child have has a hard time, then I get so caught up, I jump in the pool with my kid. And when you're trying to save someone, you don't jump in, you throw something you stay, you know, you're the steady um, foundation and support. And I can't be that if I'm dysregulated. So I think as parents, anything that we can do to feed ourselves and to contribute to our own well-being, whether that is, you know, mindfulness or meditation. I don't meditate, but I, I have lots of friends who swear by it and I kind of aspire to do it. (laughs) Um, But, you know, even little moments of self-care, bringing peace into your life, anything you can do to kind of keep your reserve tanks full is well worth it and will help you better show up for those tricky moments. Yeah. And I think that um, those kinds of things are, even more important for those parents that um, especially because I mostly work with um, children who have ADHD or ADHD type symptoms, that it triggers in the parents this realization that wait, hold on, what they're going through sounds so much similar to what I'm what I went through or that I go through every single day. So it's, you know, when they're triggered, when their children are triggered, they feel themselves triggered as much because they feel mm-hmm. like those same symptoms are there with them, that they mm-hmm. either were undiagnosed or diagnosed. Um, and, and that can be really hard because they're basically going through that whole journey with them again. Um, yeah. and, and that's, again, where getting help and support is just so much more important uh, because you need to parent from a place of balance rather than um, like a shaky foundation. Yeah, I think it's interesting. And there are so many more adults who are either getting diagnosed or self identifying as being neurodivergent, because 
they go through this process with their kid and they're like, Oh, me too. And that is fascinating. I think it's tricky for parents because it can bring up sadness for, especially if it was undiagnosed when they were kids and they recognize, gosh, I really struggled and I didn't have the support I needed. And how has that impacted me as an adult? We can also over identify with our kids. You know, we could have a partner who says, well, they're just like me and this works for me. Therefore, this will work for my child. And that's not usually the case. Like all, everyone is an individual and needs their own approaches. So um, I think it is tricky. And I do really encourage, I encourage all parents to get support for themselves, whatever that looks like. I mean, I'm a f- huge fan of therapy. I have worked with parent coaches in the past during particularly challenging seasons of my parenting life. And obviously I read a ton of parenting books because I interview authors for my podcast. Um, so I learned from all of those resources, but I think the good news is that better understanding ourselves is one of the gifts of raising a neurodivergent child. I think they kind of force us to dig deeper and to show up more fully for ourselves so we can show up better for them. And it's not always a fun process to go through, but I believe so deeply that it can lead to a much richer, more connected, more beautiful life. Yeah, no, for sure. And, you know, just one, one thing that, um, that comes up for a lot of parents is the whole idea of, of schooling, unschooling, homeschooling, you know, this whole idea of, of getting their children to either fit in into schools or to make it work for them. And, and I completely understand why parents are trying are being advocates for their kids in a schooling system that might be hesitant to helping them. Right. Um, How do you see that? How do you help um, the parents that, you know, that you come across with this whole idea of, the structured schooling, how their kids tend to struggle with that. Um, and then this whole idea of, of homeschooling and letting them grow and, and just be and learn at their own pace. Yeah, I think school is the most challenging piece of this puzzle when you're raising kids who are school age. So basically their whole life really until they're, you know, 18 um, or beyond. And I think the challenge is that most school systems were not designed to support kids who learn and think differently. And so, especially in a public school system, we spend so much energy and resources and time trying to get this kid to fit in by doing accommodations or again, having a lot of behavioral plans in place or, um, or maybe putting them in classes where they are just focused on their deficits and they don't get to explore any of their strengths. And so it's a real bummer because it can result in kids who feel bad about themselves, who identify as dumb or bad kids, who really their confidence takes a hit, they don't thrive, and that can have disastrous long-term consequences. I mean, there's such a high percentage of incarcerated adults or, or kids in the juvenile justice system who have learning disabilities. And there's a correlation there. Um, And so I think, you know, in school systems, we have a lot of work to do to increase awareness and understanding of what neurodivergent learners need, and to 
offer ways to be more flexible and how kids can demonstrate their knowledge and mastery of things because all kids learn differently. And just because a child can't maybe write an essay in a certain way, maybe they could make a video documentary about it, you know? So I think we need to play with ways to, to just let kids learn in a way that they can really show up from a place of strength. So and that's not going to be easy to do because it involves policy change and it's a very slow moving target. Um, so a lot of parents do end up at some point over their kids' career, educational career, homeschooling or unschooling or doing some some sort of a hybrid. And I just I always want to say up front when we talk about homeschooling that I recognize it's not accessible to everyone. And I don't know where your listeners are. Some countries it's not legal. Um, some families don't have the resources or they're just not designed in a way that allows for a parent to be home. So I just want to say that up front, I, I, I think it can be such a great, even temporary solution for a child who isn't thriving in school. But I do like to say that I know it's not something any, everyone can do. Um, but what I like about homeschooling, and I did do homeschooling with my child for six years from third to eighth grade was that it allowed us and it allows families to really let a child spend most of their time working and developing on their strengths. And so these kids who have deep areas of interest, that's your access to all the other learning, right? Even if that interest is Minecraft, you could create entire curriculums around Minecraft executive function, planning, um, creating stuff, design, art, music, like you could do everything under the umbrella of Minecraft. And so I think there could be so much freedom and flexibility if you're able to do that or unschooling, which is really self-directed learning for a child. And what I always say, just kind of a big statement on educating differently wired kids is it's not often that a parent will be able to say, okay, I found this school, we're good to go for the next 12 years. Um, I, I think with these kids, we owe it to them and our families to at least every year, if not more say, is this the right environment? Is this still working for my child? Is my child thriving? And just get curious, if not, what else could we do? Not for the rest of their educational life, but for right now that could support them. Because again, unfortunately, there's usually no long term planning with these kids, we need to be a little nimble, yeah. and be able to kind of pivot to meet their needs as they change and evolve. Yeah. And I think one of the concerns a lot of parents have is when they're getting closer to high school years, right? Um, those are like those formative years before they head off to college, if that's what they choose to do, um, that they want that to be more of through like uh, a more mainstream schooling. And that can be hard even at that time, right, for, for these children. And so to sit back and to think about um, ways that these children are thriving, it, it tends to be hard. It tends to be a, a decision that at that point, those children are, are able to voice and tell you what they want, whether mm -hmm. it's working for them or not. So it's really at that point making a partnership with your child as they're growing up. So it's easier when they're younger, you make a lot of those decisions, keeping in view what's best for them. But as they get older, and you want to prepare them for when they're 18 and older, 
to be mm-hmm. helping navigate those those decisions. Yeah, and I think it gets more complicated as they get older because we talked earlier about the societal expectations of what things should look like. So as our kids move into high school and then we do as parents, we're like, well, what is this going to look like? And what about college and what's coming? And we can start to feel really anxious about this quote unquote launch that we're expected to do with our kid or that we just imagine what the future should look like for them. And so it is a really complicated time. And I think what you said is exactly right. We want to be in a collaboration with our kids so we can help them feel that they have buy-in on whatever is going to happen. Like we could push our kids to, you know, we could do threats on what kind of grades they get and push them for this and like encourage certain schools. And, but then our kids going to show up to school and they're not going to be personally invested. If they go to college that they felt they had to go to, or they were just kind of forced down this road. So it can feel really scary to just say, what do you actually want? Is college important to you? What, what do you think the next couple of years could look like? And just have that be an ongoing conversation so that together, and it might change a lot because a lot of our neurodivergent teenagers are struggling pretty massively with mental health stuff right now, depression, you mentioned mood disorders earlier, anxiety, there's a lot going on. And so I think it's really important that we are in kind of constant communication with our kids, that we don't impose our own agenda on them, but we really prioritize connection and relationships so we can together navigate and always be trying to make the best decisions that's going to help our kids feel motivated and excited and a sense of possibility about what the future might look like for them. Yeah, um, I think that there's so much here for parents to just sit back and unpack, right? Um, there's, it, it's a hard place to be, but then there's also this hope that if you're able to work a little bit on just you, yourself, your parenting, and then your collaboration with your child, things can change. And, and you've seen that happen with so many families, you know, with your own family as well. What are some of just, you know, parting thoughts that you would like to share with, with parents? Like, where should they start? How should they go about it? I mean, I think that we are always being given information by our own bodies, right? So when we fear, when we feel our own anxiety getting triggered, or, you know, we're laying awake at night, like worried about an outstanding homework assignment, or, you know, whatever is going on with our kids, that is those feelings are an invitation to do our own work and try to uncover what is the underlying fear or concern. And then we get to challenge that we get to push back and say, is it really true that if my child doesn't do X, Y, or Z, then that means their future is, you know, it's going to be crappy, right? No, but you know, we, we can often just kind of move ahead with these assumptions. And so I would say one thing is to just start noticing when you do feel that anxiety or frustration or fear, as it relates to your child, write down whatever that thought or belief is, and then see if you can find some evidence for how it might not be true. That can be really powerful. And two other just quick things, I always like to just remind parents that 
neurodivergent kids are not broken and they don't need to be fixed. And so getting out of that fix it mindset and rather looking at this child as someone who has really unique strengths and a very individual profile. And so how can we get curious about how to support them in being the best version of themselves? Um, the last thing I'll just say is we talk about timelines a lot in my community. And I think we can also get really, I mean, we've talked about this throughout this whole conversation, but we can get caught up in this idea of when things should happen. And I think we just need to, again, if we're getting worried about a timeline or this has to happen then, or my child's not doing this yet, or they're not tying their shoes yet, or they're not, you know, that stuff doesn't matter. If it's not a safety issue, most things that we're worried about that our kids are behind, they don't actually matter in the big picture of things. So make sure you're not prioritizing things that aren't actually helping your kid feel good about who they are. And because we, we do want to really shift away from that deficit, you know, focus and really think about how can we leverage this kid's strengths and help them feel better about the things that they're really good at. Yeah, I think I just what you said right at the end of how our behavior makes them feel. I think that is just paramount, right? Because everything that how how we parent what we say in certain times it has such a big impact on on these children and it has the potential to change a lot of things for good and for bad and so if we're choosing this whole um experience and this journey from like a more positive um standpoint it can really change their lives around yeah 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 a hundred percent you know they there's that saying that um the things we say to our child becomes their inner voice when they're adults. And so oh. the way that we show up for them and how we make them feel through the things that we say and the way we look at them when they walk into a room, I try to have one light up moment every day where I just exude love in my expression. When I see my child, like those things really matter. Yeah. I think that's just amazing. And I think that's like the best place to, to um to end our conversation today because i think that that love is really where it comes down to at the end of the day right and that's where from a from a place of love is where a parent is trying to do the best that they can um even even the hardest things and the hardest days it's just it's it's that love and that devotion for their child that helps tide them through thank you so much for coming on and and all of these things and i'm sure it's going to be so helpful for so many parents to listen to and to connect, where can they reach out? Where can they hear more of your of your podcasts? Um, and where can they get your book? Well, first of all, thank you so much for the conversation. I really enjoyed chatting with you about all of this and the work that you do. Um, and if listeners want to learn more about Tilt, my website is tiltparenting.com and you'll find the podcast there. There's more than 300 episodes, but I do have on the main page, for the podcast category. So you can try to kind of hone in on ones that might be more relevant to you. And you'll also can um, download a free chapter of differently wired if you want to check out the book and but the book you can get on audiobook or Kindle or regular book anywhere that you you buy books. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed our conversation today. Thank you for listening to this podcast and spending your precious time with us. 
at Helping Children Thrive. If you find this podcast helpful, please share it with your family, friends, and others who may benefit. If you haven't already, hit subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Please take a few moments to rate and review this podcast on the review section of Apple Podcasts. This will help other parents, caregivers, and professionals find the show more easily. Visit momenasaleemcoaching.com to post comments on today's show or ask any questions about upcoming episodes. And sign up to receive a weekly update. Helping Children Thrive is not a substitute for working with a qualified healthcare professional. The information shared here is not intended to diagnose and treat your child. Before implementing anything discussed here on the podcast, make sure to consult your healthcare practitioner. See you all next week.